This week on Daiwa, we're in Henry County. A 22-year-old goes missing in 2000, and her estranged husband is arrested 17 years later for her murder. Welcome to Daiwa, the first Iowa-focused true crime podcast, where there's 99 counties and a murder in every one. These are your hosts, Beth LaValle and Allie Tulin. Hey Beth, we're in Henry County this week. Have you been? I don't think so. I know of it. It's a pretty populous county, right? Yeah, it's like Southeast County with towns like Mount Pleasant, New London, and Winfield. Uh, But I do know some pretty cool people are from Mount Pleasant. People like Arabella Mansfield, who was the first female lawyer in the United States. Ricky Phillips, who was the bassist from the Sticks. And the U.S. Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack. One especially cool one who's kind of related to the true crime world is Christopher Voss. Christopher was born in Mount Pleasant, Iowa. He graduated from Iowa State University and received his master's from the John F. Kennedy School of Government. Chris went on to serve as the lead crisis negotiator for the New York City Division of the FBI and was a member of the New York City Joint Terrorist Task Force for 14 years. He then went on to become the international kidnapping negotiator for the FBI as well as the FBI's hostage negotiation representative, for the National Security Council's Hostage Working Group. Chris is now also an author. He has a book called Never Split the Difference, which is over negotiation tactics. Very cool. We'll have to ask Taps if he's ever heard of Chris or used any of his recommended tactics. Yeah, maybe they're best buddies or something. (laughs) Another cool thing that I found to check out in Mount Pleasant is the Harlan Lincoln House on the Iowa Wesleyan College campus. The house belonged to the Iowa Senator James Harlan, who served as the college's president and eventually willed the house to his daughter, who happened to be Mary Harlan Lincoln. Mary was married to Robert Todd Lincoln, which was Abraham Lincoln's only surviving adult son. Eventually, Mary donated the house back to the college in 1907, and it was turned into a museum that now has memorabilia from the families of Senator Harlan and President Lincoln. And it includes the mourning veil worn by Mary Todd Lincoln, a piece of the coat Lincoln was wearing the night he was assassinated, and then a desk that Senator Harlan used. Oh my goodness. I know. Crazy. Have you ever been there? No. This feels very... We should go. Yeah. Completely (laughs) agree. Okay. So let's get on to the case for today. The year is 2000. If you don't remember the year 2000, Bill Clinton is president this year. The movie American Beauty wins Best Picture at the Oscars, and the youngest Joe Bro, Frankie, is born. I forgot he was (laughs) technically a Jonas brother. Wow. The, like, forgotten Joe Bro. Yeah. He uh, (laughs) is true Gen Z Joe Bro. Yes. So in this case, Elizabeth Superda is living in a Mount Pleasant apartment that year in 2000 with a roommate. Elizabeth, or Liz, is a short white female with naturally curly brown hair and hazel eyes. On Sunday, July 16th, Elizabeth's roommate leaves their apartment for work at 10.30pm and returns the next morning at 4am to find Elizabeth gone. However, Elizabeth didn't have a car and all her belongings were still in the apartment. 
and the door was locked from the outside. So some background, and I'm going to refer to Elizabeth as Liz moving forward, but Liz had met a man named Michael Saperta when she was just 14 years old. Michael Saperta and his wife at the time were living in Truckee, California, when 14-year-old Liz started babysitting for the couple's daughter. Eventually, Liz moved in with the couple, and they moved to Winfield and served as their live-in babysitter. But then Michael and his wife divorced, and Michael and Liz eventually married. Liz then left Saperta after he became physically abusive, and at the time of her disappearance, they were living separately. Authorities could not find any evidence of foul play in Liz's disappearance. She never claimed her paycheck from her employer, and there had been no activity on her bank account since she disappeared. But a month before Liz went missing, Saperta had been arrested for assaulting both Liz and her roommate. The court immediately put a protection order in place, and in November of 2000, four months after Liz goes missing, Saperta pleaded guilty to second-degree robbery and domestic abuse assault stemming from the June assault. He received a suspended prison sentence and was placed on probation for five years. Liz's family, who was still in California, believed that her husband Michael had murdered her. They described him as dangerous and violent, and police did work with Saperta, but he stopped talking to them soon after the investigation began and refused to take a polygraph test. Eventually, he moved to Colorado. In 2010, Liz's mom, Donna Forshee, was interviewed by the Hawkeye newspaper out of Burlington, Iowa. Donna was still living in California, but was determined to find Liz. Every year, she said she visits Mount Pleasant to raise awareness that Liz is still missing. She said it was important for her to also stay close with local law enforcement to make sure she gets the latest information about the case. That year, the police department said the case remains open, but they have not had any recent leads. They added that Michael Saperta had not been ruled out as a suspect. Donna had paid for a billboard between Danville and New London, announcing a $20,000 reward for information that might lead to Liz's whereabouts or fate. She was quoted saying, Someone back there knows what happened to her, and I hope that our presence would spark a recollection. My hope is to find Liz. That's my whole focus. The reason for doing this is to find her. Then we jump 17 years since Liz's disappearance. Michael Saperta is arrested on Thursday, November 30th, 2017. He was living in Rifle, Colorado, near Glenwood Springs, and was charged with first-degree murder in Liz's death, even though a body was still never found. Saperta waived a jury trial, and his bench trial began in Henry County on Tuesday, May 1st, 2018. A judge scheduled a June 25th, 2018 hearing to rule on the first-degree murder charge. Liz's mom, Donna, was told around 9.30 that night. In an interview with KTVO News, she praised officers with the Mount Pleasant Police Department, the Henry County Sheriff's Office, and the Iowa DCI for bringing Saperta to trial. On Monday, June 25, 2018, Henry County District County Judge Mark Cruz announced that Saperta was guilty of first-degree murder. Cruz announced his guilty verdict during a five-minute hearing in which he warned the audience, a crowded and emotion-filled courtroom, that any emotional display on either side would be met with immediate removal from the courtroom. The Hawkeye reported that the room remained silent as the verdict was announced, but one of Saperta's adult children began sobbing hysterically as she left the room. Saperta showed no emotion. He looked toward the ceiling, then turned and looked at several family members. In his ruling, Cruz wrote, 
There are many ways in which a person can be killed suddenly and without leaving blood. A body can be disposed of in such a manner that it is unlikely to be found. The Iowa City Press Citizen shared that evidence showed beyond a reasonable doubt that Saperta killed Liz and disposed of her body in about six hours. The article added that it was thought out and planned by an enraged and obsessive person. Despite the lack of a body, murder weapon, or crime scene, Cruz said he based his guilty verdict on circumstantial evidence, including threats made by Saperta. We also got a possible motive. Several newspapers all revealed that court records said the couple had been estranged before her disappearance because she was leaving him for a woman. Prosecutors said Saperta repeatedly threatened and stalked Liz. On August 23, 2018, Judge Cruz sentenced Saperta to life in prison without the possibility of parole. During the sentencing hearing, Liz's mom begged Saperta to tell her where Liz's body was, but Saperta refused to comment. Then there's another update two years later. In September of 2020, the Des Moines Register reported that Saperta got his sentence reduced. His conviction dropped from first-degree murder to second-degree murder. Judge Cruz was present and said, quote, On June 25, 2018, the defendant was found guilty of the crime of murder in the first degree. Thereafter, the defendant did appeal the judgment of the court. The Court of Appeals did enter a ruling affirming in part and reversing in part the court's decision, specifically stating the defendant should be sentenced for murder in the second degree. In a 30-page ruling, Iowa Court of Appeals Judge Mary Tabor wrote she did not dispute there was sufficient evidence to prove Liz's death, nor that there was sufficient evidence to prove Saperta was responsible, but the state failed to prove Saperta intended to kill Liz when the act was committed. Judge Tabor was quoted saying, Because the state offered no proof how Michael killed Elizabeth, it did not link his intent to kill with any given act. With no physical evidence and no confession, we don't know if Michael's expressed intent to kill Elizabeth coincided with a premeditated act. Perhaps Michael took her life in a spur-of-the-moment act or because he panicked and acted in the anger of the moment. Those scenarios would justify a verdict of only second-degree murder. Scott Brown, an assistant Iowa attorney general, and Henry County attorney Darren Stater recommended the now 60-year-old Saperta be given the maximum sentence for the crime, a specialized Class B felony, which is up to 50 years in prison with a minimum of 30 years served, before being eligible for probation of work release. Judge Cruz agreed with the maximum sentence recommendation and said it would be best for the community as well as Saperta's rehabilitation. So Saperta was returned to the Iowa State Penitentiary, where he continues to serve his sentence. Saperta was quoted saying, They failed to show intent on first-degree murder because there was no intent. I ask that if I am not set free, that I at least receive a new trial with a jury. Liz's mom said she hopes Saperta will one day bring her family closure. To this day, Liz's body has yet to be recovered. Well, this is um, a sad one and pretty recent too. So let's uh, give Taps a call and see what he thinks. Sounds like a plan. Hey Taps, thanks for joining. Good evening. We are in Henry County this week talking about the Liz Saperta case. Have you been to Henry County? I have been to Henry County many times. What are your fun facts? 
Uh, I taught a class at the Mount Pleasant MHI. What was your class over? Mental Health Institute. Hostage negotiation. Oh, interesting. Great segue. Yeah. (laughs) We talked about Christopher Voss on this episode. Are you familiar with him? I am familiar with him. I mean, I've never met him or don't know of him, but I know of his reputation. We thought you might be best buddies, so that's disappointing. <laughs> no, I was buddies with his predecessor, Fred Lansley. Oh, interesting. Have you ever like used any of either of their teachings? I took some of their stuff, but I got to tell you, I think the New York City cops were better than just about anybody. So I used a lot of their stuff. What made them better? Just experience. They did so many of them. The FBI guys rarely did it. They studied it. They were very academically astute, but the New York City guys had hundreds of episodes under their belt. What? And we should say here, like, what is your experience with hostage negotiation? I was a hostage negotiator for our SWAT team. Nice. How did you get selected for that? Uh, I had gone to some schools and done some stuff and just kind of became that guy. Got it. As you do. (laughs) This case, like the Carrie Farver case from Harrison County that we talked about, had no body. At what point as a detective do you give up looking for the body and try to make a case if you think you have a suspect in their motive? I don't think you ever give up on trying to find the body because it's so difficult to get a prosecution without one. But at some point, the prosecutor probably makes a decision that says, I have enough that I I believe I can prove guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. So they go forward. Makes sense. Why would Saperta have initially waived a jury trial? I think maybe if the information was pretty damning, his past history of violence and stuff, his lawyers may have thought a jury was would have been too prejudicial and they would have found against him right away. And a judge would have a more even temperament about his past history and things of that nature. Once you waive a jury trial, can you go back? The defendant always owns that right. So nobody else can do it but the defendant. Um, and then once a case is appealed and receives a new sentencing, is there any other chance to appeal? Yeah, there's always, I mean, if there's a new issue that comes forward or there's something in the record that that the lawyers find, there are obviously time limits and things like that. But some of these cases, especially in post-conviction relief, can go for years. Got it. And then how hard is it to prove first-degree murder versus second-degree murder? Well, first-degree murder, you have to prove malice aforethought. You have to prove that the person had a guilty mind, that they went, they sought the person out to murder them. So you have to, whatever circumstantial evidence, narrative evidence, actions by the defendant, those kinds of things to, to prove that the person intended to kill that person. There was malice aforethought. There was intent. Do you have like a specific example of a kind of evidence that would be first degree like premeditated so i had a shooting one time where a woman emptied it was a real small handgun it was like a raven 25 caliber small what used to be called a saturday night special emptied a whole magazine into her boyfriend like seven rounds 
went back into the kitchen, reloaded the magazine and shot him again seven times. And the court found him guilty of second degree murder, said that she was so passionately enraged that it wasn't malice aforethought. But there's also cases where somebody killed somebody and within seconds of them killing them, they said something like, I'm going to kill you or something like that. And that was considered enough to prove it. So it's just all circumstantial based on the evidence and based on the actions of the actors involved in it. But second degree is, would you say that's the majority of cases then? No, not really. I mean, oh. it just depends. Um, and of course, second degree can always be a plea agreement too. There could be a plea agreement just to get somebody to plead to it. I think you see equal amounts of both kinds of cases, first degree and second degree. Obviously, first degree is a little bit tougher to prove, but in a lot of murder cases, it's it's pretty evident that the person wanted the other person dead. So, Any final thoughts here? Just, it was a very sordid case. I mean, she's a babysitter, and then they hook up, and I mean, just, and it sounded like there was violence, a lot of violence throughout the thing. You just wonder kind of what people were thinking, but it's a tragic. And with Henry County being that close to the Mississippi, you wonder if he dumped the body in the river or how he got rid of it. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for joining. We'll talk to you next time. Good evening. Oh, hello there. As a marketer, I hate promotions like this. Same and same. But I love content. Me too. So if you like our content, give us a like, follow, share, subscribe, note, fax, literally anything you think would help us continue making Daiwa a success. Thank you, thank you, thank you.